Good morning. How are y'all today? It's, a, it's hard to be, you can't just be good. This is a great day. I mean, Mississippi State won, Alabama lost. <laughs> I wish it had been the week before. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, just teasing already. Just teasing already. Uh, amen, amen, amen. I feel your pain sometimes. Amen. It's a good day. No, just, not just because of that, but uh, a lot of good stuff going on here in our community. We got, if you weren't aware, uh, many of you have been on the walk to Mass. Uh, there are uh, three, I believe it's three of our young men uh, from our youth group who are attending Chrysalis this weekend. So I invite you to be praying for them uh, as they look to move closer to Jesus, for sure. Um, there's a lot of good stuff going on. Next week, uh, we're going to have a combined worship service where uh, it starts at 10 o'clock at Rock Hall Church. And uh, Young Life uh, leaders from Kent and Queen Anne's County are coming to share the message. It's always a great Sunday. They are uh, fantastic speakers, and they, they usually share with us in a, in a Young Life sort of way. So I uh, really hope that you can come and be a part of that next Sunday uh, as we gather together at Rock Hall Church. And I believe that after the service, there's going to be a meeting to kind of share some information with you about... Uh, Rock, uh, Wesley and Rock Hall Church, their futures together and what that looks like and how it might look and everything else. So come and be a part. It should be a great Sunday. Uh, right now, we want to continue in prayer as we, uh, I'm going to ask you to pray for me as we begin to open God's word here. Lord, I ask you to move. Move in this moment that, that you might draw us close to you, God, that you might reveal to us uh, more of your word and, and more about what your word means for our lives. God, you're good. And we thank you. We praise you today. Amen. Amen. Let's play a game. You ready for a game? All right. So, uh, well, even if you're not. If you're reluctant, that's all right. You can play along, or you can just sit out. Uh, so, th- this way it is. I'm going to describe a situation, and then I'm going to ask you to, to tell me what the situation is, all right? It's not difficult. I promise you can get these. Even if you're barely paying attention, you'll be able to You'll be able to catch on real quick, okay? So this first one, you're at a professional, let's say you're at a professional football game, right? You're, even if you don't like football, you went along because somebody told you to. And so you're there, and it's halftime, or it's a timeout, and all you have to do is watch the Jumbotron, right? Uh, that, that's, they show some little videos, and all of a sudden they start panning around the stadium, and you're thinking, oh, I hope they show me. But they don't. Instead, they zoom in on one woman, and she's crying. She's standing there on this huge 40-foot screen, and she's in tears. And then the tears, in her tears, she starts to jump up and down and smile. And then, then she jumps into the arms of this man who's standing up next to her. What just happened to her? He proposed. Yeah, we've seen that before. Like, like oh my goodness, she, she, she like transformed right before our very eyes, right? How about this one? Okay, if you got that one, then you, this one will probably be, this one might level it up just a little bit. But there's a group of kids, and they're sitting in a room that's filled with trash. Crazy thing is, is that they're all wearing matching pajamas. Then, one of the adults in the room walks in with this box, and they all huddle around it. They look in, and as they open the box, they all appear shocked. And then they turn begin to smile and jump up and down and clap their hands, and then they hug what appears to be their parents, all except for the younger one who now has the box on the floor and is getting in, 
getting out of it whatever was in there. What just happened? They got a puppy for Christmas. They got a puppy for Christmas, right? What about this? Young man seems to be in a hospital because he's wearing, uh, you know, scrubs. But he doesn't look like he's a doctor because they're all, they're, the shirt's all backwards and the pants are twisted and they're not tied. He doesn't have a Scott's Soap or a name badge. So we're not, he's obviously not a doctor because, but he's excited. He is excited. It, you see him walking up and down the halls and he's, and he's just at random hugging people. <laughs> at random. And he's shaking hands and, and he's giving out cigars. And they don't allow smoking in the hospital, but he's giving away cigars. What just happened? He just had a baby, right? Or, well, he didn't have a baby, but you know what I'm saying. Somebody, somebody he loves just had a baby. There's a baby in that hospital now that he loves, right? All of these folks, like, like we probably, you probably experienced some of these or something similar to these. You understand what they've experienced. We call it joy, but there's a lot more to it than just joy, right? See, they've experienced something. Something has happened to them that has changed them. And now they do something about it, right? Something happened to you that caused a change in you. And now it demands a response from you. We've all been there, right? One, one way or another, maybe none of these examples, or maybe it was one of these, that, that yeah, it, it really did change our lives, right? I mean, for me, it was the, the, the birth of our, my kids. I mean, there was nothing that could compare. I coach with a lot of guys now who are having their first kids and all this kind of stuff, and they're always like, yeah, well, what I'm going to do is this. I said, man, you got no idea what you're going to do. <laughs> Trust me. I had all those plans, too. You throw them out the window. You might just free up your time and stop making the plans because you've got no clue what you're going to do until it happens. And then all bets are off. All bets are off. Which brings us to today's text from the Gospel of Luke. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke for the last 18 years, it seems like, for some of you. But it hadn't been that long. Uh, so we value God's Word here at Wesley Chapel. And so we go through it, verse at a time, passage at a time, take our time going through it. So we're in uh, Luke, the Gospel, uh, chapter 17 today. And where we find ourselves is uh, what you might consider a, a Thanksgiving text. It's a text that is unique to Luke. It's not recorded in the other Gospel accounts. Uh, so it's, it's a unique encounter to, to Luke. And Luke, you remember, was writing to his friend Theophilus, that was a, who he wrote to, uh, to, to give him a, a, a trustworthy account of the life of Jesus. So Luke has, has ordered the life of Jesus, and he has written it specifically to communicate the, the truth of Jesus to his friend, a Greek named Theophilus. So this Thanksgiving text shows us more than just Thanksgiving, right? Although it is that. It actually shows us what salvation can do in the human heart. That's what I believe it should. That's what it's going to teach us. It's, it's, a, it's a reminder for those of us who, who are, are Christians, who are followers of Jesus. It's a reminder of us of how to live a life of gratitude. How to live a life of gratitude. So if you would join me in Luke chapter 17, if you've got your Bible on your phone, which is where I usually go to mine, or there should be one in the pew uh, back right in front of you down. Uh, should be one there. Follow along with me. We're going to start in verse 11 of Luke chapter 17. The scripture is also on the screen, but if you have your, your copy of the Bible, if you have your paper Bible like, like one of these, 
or on your phone, either way, it's, you can highlight and underline and make marks for the future. Great way to do that. Now on, his, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now that's, that's Luke telling us where he is. He's kind of putting us in a place that may not be remarkable to you, but, but the region between Samaria and Galilee, there, there was no region between. It was like, they're like that. It's like, uh, it's almost like Eadsville and Rock Hall, you know. It's like, it's like Skinner's Neck and, and uh, in Rock Hall. There, there is no border between, right? It's just they're, they're kind of the same thing. Yeah, that's where we're at. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. But they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Master, Jesus, have pity on us. Have pity on us. The first thing that jumped out to my mind is, is what were they hoping for? What were they wanting from Jesus? Pity? No. Were they wanting food? Maybe. Money? Possibly. I mean, we think our minds go automatically, well, they were wanting to be healed. But but why don't they just ask for healing? That's what normally what people did was, Jesus, heal me. Right? But no, these men asked for mercy. Well, we'll get into that in just a second. I think what Luke is trying to point us to. But, But this whole idea of leprosy, you're not sure what leprosy is uh, and how the Bible calls people to treat folks with leprosy, you should go back and read Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. Leviticus uh, gives us the Old Testament law of how the Israelites were to handle uh, a highly infectious disease. Uh, leprosy was a bacterial infection, caused lesions on the skin to appear, uh, boils and, and wounds to appear on the skin. Uh, it, it would cause damage to nerves. It would cause paralysis. It caused a lot of problems. And if you've ever been around someone who didn't feel, have feeling on their, you know, on their extremities, like their, their nerves weren't really good, then you know they get a lot of wounds. They bump into stuff. They, they burn themselves on a lot of things. And what does that cause? A lot of secondary infections, right? And it kind of just snowballs on itself. And, and one problem leads to another. And before you know it, they're amputating hands and feet and legs and everything else, and these people are a mess. Why? Because it, all, it can all be traced back to this one infection they had that kind of built on and caused all these other problems. Leviticus chapter 13 tells us that, that the problem is, or the solution is, is that you have to isolate them from the rest of the community because this is so infectious that it is so, it'll spread so easily with these open wounds that, that you have to keep them away from everybody else. Numbers, that kind of is gives us a summary in the book of Numbers, chapter 5. It says, command the Israelites to send away from the camp. Wow, that is small. Yeah, okay. The command the Israelites to send away from the camp anyone who has a defiling skin disease or a discharge of any kind or is ceremonially unclean because of a dead body. Send away male and female alike. Send them outside the camp so they will not defile the camp where I dwell among them. The Israelites did so. They sent them outside the camp. They did just as the Lord had instructed Moses. So it was more than just an infection they were trying to prevent. It was something about that, that because you cause an infection, you're, you're called, you, they considered them unclean, spiritually. Spiritually unclean. So this was an outsider. Now, they said make them stay outside the camp so they don't contaminate the whole group, but, but what did that mean? Did you, could you just go outside the camp and put up your tent? Well, 
Later, they would go on to prescribe that it was 150 feet you had to be away from the camp. You had to be literally away from the camp, not just on the, you're, you're on the outside edge, but you had to get away from everybody else, 150 feet. So what, what happened, eventually it became that as the disease would spread, then the people who had the illness, they would, move, they would live together, right? Because they wanted to be in community somehow. So they had these co- leper colonies. You may have heard of that. A leper colony where, where groups of people, usually men, would, would live together in caves out in the wilderness. And that's what we find here is a leper colony that is made up, as we'll see in just a moment, of Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Samaritans. And in Jesus' day, Jews and Samaritans, they were like, uh, well, I, always, I often use the phrase of you know, rock haulers and folks from Chestertown, but it's not quite that bad anymore. But, but it, back in the day, I guess that's how it was. It was like they didn't, they didn't like get along. They didn't, they didn't hang out together, right? They were separate. Eastern Shore folks from Western Shore folks. They just, they're just different, Right? Just, but there was more to it than just being different. It was like, uh, no, we don't, we don't like, you know. Was, Samaritans were those people. And here we have one of those people who is also accepted by Jews. Why? Because their misery brought them together. The, the shared problem they had was bigger than any differences they may have had, right? It was the thing they had in common was bigger than everything that separated them. We find that true today. Misery loves company, right? Still holds true. So this group of colony of lepers, they lived together. They were their, their only source of support was one another. Years it had been usually for a leper to, to go without human touch, contact, from seeing their family, from loving their children, physically. Leviticus 14 goes on, 13 describes how you treat someone with leprosy. Leviticus chapter 14 describes how you restore that person who's, been, who's healed, who's, been, who's recovered from the disease, that didn't die from it. Once they heal, like how do you, how do you bring them back in? There's a process that Leviticus 14 kind of lays out. And what it says is basically is that you have to go to the priest and he will declare you clean. The priest doesn't heal you, but he will declare you acceptable. He's the one responsible for the people so he would be the one that would declare you. He would say you were acceptable now or not. You could be received into the community. And so what Jesus says next makes perfect sense. When Jesus saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. That, the amazing thing about these ten lepers, they called out, Jesus, have mercy on us, have pity upon us. When would, actually, what they, were, what they really were asking Jesus, heal us. Let your grace heal us. Lord Jesus, show us some mercy. They had faith. They had some faith. They had enough faith that he tells us to go to see the priest. All right, let's go. They loaded up, hopped in their car, jumped on their motorcycle, whatever, and they started on their way. Right? They all went towards the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now, this is... This is the part where, if I could go back to a scene in the Bible, there's a few that I would want to go back to. You know, when Peter got out of the boat, I'd love to have been there. And, and I would love to have gone to this one. Right? This is one of those scenes that I would have loved to have seen. Because can you just imagine these ten men who are, some are missing fingers and toes and a hand or, you know, their eyes. Are, and there's their, their hair is gone and they're a mess. And, and they're walking down the road, they're hobbling together. And, and all of a sudden, one of them starts to notice that his, the guy next to him, he's got a hand now where he didn't have a hand. 
His skin is clear now, where it wasn't before. Can you imagine the reaction in that moment when they were healed? Like, that'd be, that'd be like the wildest thing. Like, you're just walking along like, oh, you're stumbling and bumbling around because you're weak and you're tired and everything else. And, and all of a sudden, you go another 50 feet and, what? What happened? Like, you want to talk about joy? That, that would be the experience of a lifetime, wouldn't it? To be, complete, to be made whole right then, on the spot, without anybody touching you, just go see the priest. And you're just walking, and it happens. That would have been fantastic. For all ten of them, it was fantastic. For one of them, it was different. For one of them, it was different. You see, they were all made, they were all healed. But one of them, Scripture says, was made well. See, one of them had an experience of saving grace. And it doesn't matter how you interpret this text. You know, different scholars from all different theological perspectives have said that one man, one Samaritan man, experienced saving grace while all the rest were just healed. They just, they, you know, and, and we, you've probably, we've experienced that in our lives. Some people we know have, have, man, they've gotten so close to Jesus they could probably touch him. And yet... They needed Jesus. They were praying desperately, Lord, please, Jesus, help me, help me, help me. And then all of a sudden, we get to the point where we're like, yeah, I guess I don't need Jesus anymore. We fail to appreciate the fact that, well, he showed up when we prayed for him, but now everything's okay, and we're like, eh, thanks, Jesus. Jesus is cool. You know, no, he's the Lord of your life, or he's not. He's the Lord of your life, or he's not. That's who he declares himself to. For this one man who came back, we see that he was, Jesus became the Lord of his life. Let's look at it. He came back to worship, to give thanks. To worship, to give thanks. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice, he said. He threw himself at Jesus' feet. He thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner, this outsider, this outcast? This Samaritan? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. That word is sozo, which again and again in Scripture is translated salvation. Your faith has saved you. Rescued you, redeemed you, made you well. Not just healed your wounds, but made you well. Set you right before God. This one was different. This one was different. Something happened to him, and it demanded a response. And he came back to worship. The only one was the Samaritan. Gratitude. Why is it such... An important part of our lives. You know, we're about to have Thanksgiving. We're getting ready for it. I mean, some of you, John A. probably shared already about doing Thanksgiving boxes. Not yet, but he's going to. Because we appreciate, we know that giving thanks is crucially important. And I just want to say, as part of Scripture, giving thanks is, that, is the behavior that flows out of an attitude of gratitude. Right? That's the phrase, attitude of gratitude. But it, you don't give thanks without gratitude. Why is it so important? Why is 
having that attitude such a big deal? 1 Thessalonians 5 says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. Why, why, do we, why are we supposed to have an attitude of gratitude? Because it's God's will. He wants you to. That's why. We're, well, that's why it's important. Paul wrote, Ephesians 5, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God. Always giving thanks to God. That's why we sing. That's why we sing songs from the 1700s. When people think, man, why don't we sing this old song? Because they're, they're words of praise to God. Doesn't matter if they were written last week. Sing songs of praise to God. Because it expresses an attitude that's worship. Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, he says. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How often do we get in a difficult place and we say, God, get me out of this? Isn't that our prayer? God, deliver me. God, help. Isn't that what we pray? Paul says, don't do that. Praise God. Because he's doing something. <laughs> that's, that's hard. We're going to talk about why that's hard in just a minute. But is, can we just agree that that's hard? That this is something that we're like, okay, how are you going to do that? But scripture says, like, when you're going through difficulty, praise God because he is doing something in you in that moment. Doing something in you in that moment. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Psalm 100. Psalm 103 goes on to, to give a litany of all the things that God has done. Praise his name. My soul, forget not all his benefits, it says, forgives, who forgives sin, heals diseases, redeems our lives, crowns us with love and compassion. Why, why do you love? Because God enables you to love. Why do you have compassion? Because God gives it to you. Like, like he says... He says, praise God for all the good things that he brings into your life. That's why we praise him. Why is it so hard to live that way? Scripture, I mean, we know God calls us to it. Why is it so hard to, to lean into that? Why is it so quick to see what we don't have? Why? I think it all goes to this thing right here. The human heart. Human heart is the, is the thing that gets in our way of living with this attitude of gratitude. We find ourselves like the lepers. All right, Jesus, have mercy on us. And then right after he does, ah, thanks Jesus, I got it now. We don't need Jesus anymore. We don't need Jesus anymore. I want to point out a few enemies of gratitude in our lives. Just a few. There's probably more than what I could come up with here. But the first enemy of gratitude in our life is comparison. The reality is, is that you are uniquely you. There's no one else who can be you. Even, even there's no better version of you. You are it. You are the best version of you there will ever be. <laughs> now, how about that? That's a blessing, right? That you are the best version of you there will ever be. 
Because God is, has created you in such a way with your gifts and your talents and your, your, your circles of influence that he's given you that nobody else could do that. Nobody else can do what you can do. So why do we compare ourselves to others? Jesus tells a story about, about a man who hired a bunch of laborers to work in his vineyard, right? And he hired them all throughout the day. And at the end of the day, when he lined them all up and he starts paying them, he paid them all the same. And, and if you remember the story, the ones who were hired first in the day, right, who did more than everyone else, they complained because everybody got the same pay, even though they all agreed to it. Comparing ourselves to others makes it hard to appreciate what we have. I mean, these people who were hired off the street couldn't appreciate the fact that this man hired us off the street and gave us a, a generous salary. But because someone else got what I got, it's not fair. Ever happened to you? You compare yourselves to others, and you start to lose appreciation for what you've actually got. Comparisons. Don't. It doesn't help. It draws you away from what God has actually done in you. I had that scripture in there. But. Second one is entitlement. Entitlement approaches our lives, and it conflicts with our life of gratitude in two ways. The first one is, I want it. And the second one is, I deserve it. I want it and I deserve it are two, co- two sides of the entitlement coin, we might say. We saw it in the prodigal son and his brother. We saw it in that story. The prodigal son, right, if you remember right, there were, a man had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me my inheritance already, even though you're still alive, Dad. I want my inheritance now. So the dad divided his property between his sons. The younger the brother said, I, I, want, I want it now. You struggle with waiting in line? Me too, right? I mean, I mean, how much time you spend complaining about that Bay Bridge? Me too, right? Every time I go over it, I complain about it. Bad service in a restaurant? You think, we think it's all about us, when in reality there's a whole lot else going on back there that we don't even appreciate. For the son here, for the youngest son, what, what took years, decades for the father to resource, to accumulate, he wasted in weeks, maybe months. We see this today in, in the lives of, well, I think we see it today in the lives of young people who, who graduate from high school, graduate from college, and, and here they are on Facebook posting a picture of their three-story house with uh, two cars in the drive. You know, it's like, you didn't, like, live on somebody's couch for six months, like, trying to save money to pay rent? Like, like how, do you, how do you start always with everything? Like, like, everybody wants to start where our parents were. Instead of starting where our parents started, we want to start where our parents are. That's just the, that's the way things are in this world today. There's a sense of I deserve it. I want it now. I want it now. And I deserve it is the other side. That's the older brother, right? The older brother in the story of the prodigal son. When, when the, the younger brother came home and the, the older brother said, I'm not having anything to do with this, right? He said, he said, look, after all these years, I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed you, Dad. One time, you never even gave me a goat that I could have a cookout with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. You give him a coat. You give him a ring. You give him everything. When he's been out wasting Everything you gave him. I deserve mine too, Dad. 
see this sense of entitlement is living our lives as though someone owes you more than what you have. And when you're owed more than what you got, you can't be content with what you have. How can we ever appreciate what we have when we're always living for what's next? What's there that's mine that I've got to claim? I tell my wife all the time, or I drive my wife crazy about this. This, develop, this presents itself in me when we go to the grocery store, you know, because I'm always like, I want to go down the list. I want to finish the thing as quick as we can, so I'm always, what's next? What's next? What's next? And she just wants to shop. Like, no, we're not here. I'm not, I'm not here to just shop. I want to get it done, right? But I've realized that, that this plays itself out in a lot of different places in, in me, that, that I'm looking ahead too much instead of being in the present. We need to be in the present, appreciate what we have right now, not worrying about what we, what we have to accomplish, what we, what's coming our way, We're not, not to think about those things, not to be entitled about it, but to appreciate what we've got in the moment. Entitlement says, this is what I deserve, this is what I want. Pride says, see what all I've done. Pride says, look at me. That's another enemy of gratitude, pride. I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but uh, a modern-day theologian, <clears throat> that, for our enemy, I would say, Snoop Dogg. If you've never heard of Snoop Dogg, uh, you probably don't listen to his music much, I'm guessing. But one of the lyrics to one of his songs, and I'll read it to you. I'll read the parts that I can read in church. <clears throat> he says, last but not least, I want to thank me. I want to thank me for believing in me. I want to thank me for doing all this hard work. I want to thank me for having no days off. I want to thank me for never quitting. I want to thank me for always being a giver and trying to give more than I receive. I want to thank me for trying to do more right than wrong. I want to thank me for just being me at all times. I want to thank me. Those lyrics of that song speak directly against what Scripture calls in in Deuteronomy Chapter 8, verses 11 through 17 says, Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, His decrees that I'm giving you this day, Moses wrote. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses, you settle down, when you get yours, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. You then will say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. See, pride sees us as the provider of things. Pride says, look what all you did. Pride. When when you did it, the only person you are to be thankful to is yourself, just as Snoop Dogg. Another enemy of gratitude is bitterness. We talked about this one last week a little bit. How, how bitterness extinguishes love between one another. When, when the scripture in, in Luke chapter 17 called him to forgive. Doesn't matter how many times, just forgive. Forgive and move on. Why? Because it, it creates a wedge between you and, the, and your brother or sister, right? So, so we forgive because it divides. But we give, forgive for another reason, too. In, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells the story of a man a rich man who, who had a servant come to him and beg him for forgiveness because he owed him a great debt. And the, the master said, well, you know, I could have you thrown in prison, but since, since you asked me, 
I'll forgive you. And and the the servant immediately goes out and sees someone who owes him a debt. And he has him thrown into prison. He was just forgiven, but he goes away and finds someone who owes him, and he has him punished. And Matthew 18, 32 says, And the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he called him. I've canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then he, Jesus closed it out with this. He said, this is how your heavenly father, or my heavenly father, will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. You see, bitterness, unforgiveness, doesn't just create a barrier between humans, but it actually creates a barrier between you and God, between me and God when I don't forgive. If I don't forgive, I don't expect to be forgiven. That's why forgiveness is, bitterness is such a huge deal. It doesn't just appear as a wedge between people. It becomes a wedge between people and God. I can't love God and and hate my neighbor. I can't. Bitterness gets in the way of gratitude. The other way bitterness works is when we blame God for our situations, our problems. We can be bitter towards God. And this I call short-sightedness. When we went through the book, the, the Circle Maker, we talked about how, how to have a pray a long game, right? Not to, not to play a long game, but to pray a long game. To pray with a divine perspective, an eternal perspective, because God is at work across generations. God didn't just work in this moment, although he does work in this moment, but he works across generations. You know, I know in our churches these days, many folks are worried about where, where's our, what's happening to our church. God, this is God's plan. This is God's thing. He's been doing it for generations. It doesn't rise and fall just on us. It rises and falls on Christ. But how it's oftentimes to get so focused on our present difficulty. The writer of Hebrews says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children aren't disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate. You're not a child of God. You're not true sons and daughters at all. If, you're not, if God doesn't discipline you, then you're not his. In today's uh, YouVersion Bible reading, uh, I don't know if you're following along, if you have that Bible reading app on your telephone or not, but in, in today's reading, it closed with a prayer that said this. It said, Lord, show me there's a greater purpose in my life and that there's more to life than this. And it was referring to this present suffering. Lord, Lord help, me to be, help me to have faith that, that there's more to my life than just these hard times that I'm experiencing right now. It was a story about Ruth and Boaz from the Old Testament. In today's text, the Samaritan found that which was more than just this. Not just healing, but he found more than just, just a removal of his problem. What he found was salvation. He found saving grace. Salvation that, that turned him around. That turned him around and sent him back to the source, the giver of, of new life, Jesus, where he lay prostrate before the Lord to worship. And that's our challenge for us, is to let our blessings turn us around to praise. Not just to say, oh, and that was great. But if you say that was great, then 
Praise. Praise God for it. Thank God for it in that moment. When you see something good happen in somebody else's life, it's a blessing. Praise God for it, even if it's not yours. Instead of wishing it was, instead of hoping for it to come around to you, no, praise God for it to be in their life. Praise. Let every blessing turn us to praise. The alternative is pride, entitlement, comparison, bitterness. It's a choice. It's a decision we make. To praise or to pride. Have pride. One of my favorite old school worship songs, I call it old school because it's like 10 years old, but um, it's a song that I, I love to sing and play and everything else. The lyrics read this way. Hear the, the pattern in it. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. You see, it doesn't matter if everything's great or it's not. It doesn't matter if everything's sunshine or everything's misery. It doesn't matter that praise His name. Blessed be your name. I'm praising God in the midst of it. Focusing our eyes on Jesus, you see, allows us, just as the, the Samaritan in the story, when we turn to focus our eyes on Jesus, that is how, that is how we become people consumed with gratitude. Fixing your eyes on Jesus really does fix your greedy heart, your selfish heart. Seeing Christ and all He's done, appreciating our, appreciating our salvation moment, when we were transformed, when we were given new life. When if I reflect on that, man, it doesn't matter what else happens. It doesn't matter what, like, I, I can always go back to that. My sozo, when I was made well, that, that word sozo, that your faith has made you well, that, that Luke wrote here, it was used three times in Scripture. Three times. First time it was used for, was for the, the woman that uh, had been bleeding for 12 years. The hemorrhaging woman you might have heard. Then, as we'll see in a few weeks, it was used to describe the life of the blind beggar. It was only used, your faith has made you well, your, your, your sozo, your salvation has come. It's only used to refer to people who are outsiders. It wasn't, Jesus never spoke it towards the priests and the leaders and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He never used it to speak to people who were in authority in the church. No, he always used it to people who were out there. That you've been saved. That you've been brought in. That you've been restored. You've been healed. You've been made whole. Salvation, you see, is the key to gratitude. Salvation. Saving grace. Is the, there, there's, there's no reason for a Christian to ever not have gratitude. That is the antidote. Reflect on your salvation. That's, that's the key. Reflect on your salvation. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, I know what it is to be in need, he wrote, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret to being content in any and every situation because I can do all things through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. Like that's, that's the key. It's keeping my focus on Christ. 
That's how I stay content. That's how I maintain an attitude of gratitude. You see, faith, not just any faith, not just a healing faith, but a saving faith is necessary. It's the key to our selfish heart. It's the only key that will open it. Which makes it so ever fortunate that you're in church today. You don't know how good God is. Because today, of all days, when we have this text, and we also get to share in Holy Communion together. Today when we, we receive the elements of some bread and a cup, and in those two elements, we understand them as the, the presence of God's Spirit. His gift to us. So today, as we, as we go through the liturgy, I'm gonna, you can use your hymnal. It's also here on the screen. But uh, in page 13, 15, I never can remember which one it is. Uh, it's one of those two. Uh, we're going to go through the, the Great Thanksgiving, as it's termed, which is a very appropriate description for the attitude of our heart. You, you may say, well, I'm not, I'm not that kind of Christian. Like, I haven't really given my life to Jesus. Then, then come. This table's for you. This is where we experience God's grace. This table's for you. You may say, I'm not a part of this church. This table's for you. This is his table. This is his offering for us as we gather in his name. If you've been a Christian your whole life, but you find yourself, your gratitude tank runs a little low. This is where we refill it. This is where we remember our salvation. This is where. By God's Spirit, he, he recharges that in our lives. I pray that you find that today. So as we work through the liturgy today, we're going to go slow. I invite you to reflect on each passage as we pause, as we work through the text today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing. We praise you today. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Amen. It is right and a good and a joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. You formed us in your image, Lord God, and you breathed into us a breath of life. When we turned away, our love failed, but your love remained steadfast. You delivered us, God, from captivity. And you made a covenant to be our sovereign God. You spoke to us through the prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, Lord, we praise your name and we join their unending hymn today. Holy, holy, holy Lord. God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son Jesus. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. And he ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church. You delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and you made with us a new covenant by water and your spirit. Your spirit ascend, when your Lord Jesus ascended, He promised to be with us always in the power of your word and your spirit. On the night when He gave Himself for us, He took bread, He gave thanks to you for it, He gave it to His disciples, and He said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, he gave thanks to you, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of a new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus, we offer ourselves in praise and in thanksgiving as a holy and a living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit, Lord God, on us gathered here on these gifts of bread and of wine. Make them be for us, the body and the blood of Christ, that we may be for the world, the body of Christ that's been redeemed by your blood. Lord God, by your Spirit, make us one with each other, one in ministry to the whole world until Christ returns in his final victory and we feast with him in his eternal banquet. We pray all of this through your Son, Jesus, with your Holy Spirit, in your holy church, because all honor and glory belongs only to you, our Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Now I invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer the same way as you best remember it, although it's on the screen for you. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. See, y'all getting ahead. As it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever.
body of Christ. It's been given for you. Blood of Christ, the cup of salvation, freely given, that you may receive freedom. Those who are going to help serve this morning, if you please come. As you can hear from the liturgy, we have ample reason to give praise today. Ample praise, ample reason to be thankful. Again, you don't have to be a member of our church or any church to come to the Lord's table. Uh, when you come, we, pray, we share by intinction, which means you'll, a piece of bread will be broken off. You'll take it and dip it into the cup, and that way you receive both elements together. All right? If you give me a moment to, to share communion with these folks, then we'll invite you to come. Please come.